Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. I didn't plan it that way, but uh, that's what we're going to look at is the, the Antichrist. This is one of the main chapters where you deal with him, and hopefully you won't see the Antichrist knocking on your front door this week, although you'll see some pretty uh, secular and, and demonic outfits for sure. But reach them in Jesus' name. Take a track back there. It's National Outreach Night where they come to you. So answer the door and tell them about Jesus. They're asking for it. I'm going to do it. So we're going to go and look at chapter 2. Two main sections, we'll make a lot of points in between, but let's read the first section, it's actually verses 1 through 12. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The first section I want us to note several points. The first one is this. I want you to see that there was a rumor a rumor, if you're taking notes, the first R is a rumor. The rumor was this, that the day of the Lord had already come. Now that phrase, day of the Lord, is an Old Testament phrase. It meant this, it meant the day of judgment, the day of tribulation, even that second coming of Christ. Look at verses 1 through 3, addressing this rumor. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, don't believe the rumor, right? Don't be quickly shaken in mind. Don't be alarmed, either by a spirit of prophecy or somebody that said, or a spoken word 
or even a letter that, that appeared to be from us, that seemed to be from us. That's the rumor. To this effect, that the day of the Lord has already come. He says, let no one, verse 3, deceive you in that way. It's not here yet. These people had a misunderstanding about this. So one of the reasons that Paul has to write this second letter in the year about 50 or 51, just a few months after 1 Thessalonians, he writes from Corinth because he hears that they've misunderstood some of the teaching of 1 Thessalonians. They have this misunderstanding, even a misrepresentation, that a letter has come and that they're already in the Great Tribulation, that they're already in the Day of the Lord. Maybe that they've missed the Second Coming or that it's about to happen at any moment and some people are freaking out and some people are quitting their jobs and laying up at the house and not working. You'll see that in chapter 3 next week. But he says, hey, wait a minute. We need to address this rumor. It's not here. You're not acting right. You're not thinking right. And so he, he begins to deal with this. He says, let nobody deceive you in that way. Right? Sometimes we can still be deceived. We, we misunderstand a truth. A false teacher takes something and, and twists it and makes it say something that it sort of says, but it doesn't really say. right? And we get clouded minds too. Right? We need the truth. And so Paul says, I, I want to give you the truth. Let no one, verse 3... Deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. First he talks about a rumor. And secondly he talks about a rebellion. A rebellion. Literally that word means the apostasy. To be an apostate means to be someone that has fallen away from the truth. You, you have rejected the truth. You are rebelling against the truth. You have committed apostasy. He says that day, that, that day of the Lord, really that judgment day, that, that tribulation, that second coming is not going to come unless the rebellion comes first. And I have to tell you on verse 3 there are a whole lot of different views here. In fact, in several verses in this chapter, there are different interpretations. Even as I go back and read some of the ancients, I'm talking about Chrysostom and those in the 300s and those in the 400s, even they disagree about what that meant. Who would be taken out? And some are saying the church, and some are saying it's, it's the Roman government. There are all sorts of views uh, about this, and so I won't really deal with that among the disagreement. What the point is, is this, that it will get worse before the coming of Christ. He says, I know that you're experiencing some persecution, right? Even in chapter 1, he has to deal with that. Don't worry. God is just. There will be retribution for those who are afflicting you and your persecutions. But don't think that just because you're being persecuted that you're in the Great Tribulation. That, that the judgment day is right around the corner. It comes in God's timing. Remember when we looked at that last week? Payback will come. But he says, look, you're, you're, you're not there yet. Just because you're going through a tough time and, and people are saying that the judgment day is here. No, don't, don't, don't think that you're there. That rebellion has to happen first. Um, a man of lawlessness has to be revealed. This, this apostasy has to happen. It will get worse is actually kind of what he's saying before it gets better. And we have to remember that. Revelation shows that to be true. He deals with a rumor. He talks about the rebellion that will come before the second coming of Christ. And then he talks about a revealing. That third point, a revealing. A revealing of someone he calls the man of lawlessness. We sometimes refer to him as an antichrist or in the book of Revelation, one of the, the beasts there. 
Look at verses 3 through 9. This is where you see about this man of lawlessness. He says, don't let anybody deceive you in any way. For that day, that end day, that day of the Lord won't come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, this man of sin, literally it, it means a, a man without law. Um, unless he comes first. And unless he is revealed. This son of destruction, that means that he is destined to destruction. This is his, his outcome. So over the years, many people have looked about the man of lawlessness and they've thought about the, the Antichrist. And, and over the years, a lot of suggestions have been made, like Caligula, one of the emperors, or Nero. Some have said the Pope. The reformers like to look at, no, this was referring to the Pope. He is the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. Some looked at it in, as Antiochus, and some even looked at it as Hitler. In the year 1941, there was actually a brochure that was written and circulated claiming that Hitler was the Antichrist and gave all of these reasons as to, as to why. A lot of suggestions. Notice what we're told and what we're not told. We're not told who the man is, but we are told what he is like. We don't know who, but we do know some of the what's. So let's look at these. First we see his titles. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And here's his two titles. He's called the man of lawlessness, a man without law, unless he's revealed. And he's called a son of destruction. Means he is, he is, it's a Hebrew uh, idiot. He's, mean he's, he's destined to this. This is, this is his fate. He will be judged. So we see a couple of his titles. I refer to others that are used in the New Testament for him. You also see his actions. I think this is most important in verse 4. What does he do? Who opposes God, right? Opposes truth. Who opposes, number one. Number two, he exalts himself against every so-called God, against any kind of religion. He will oppose Christianity and Islam and Judaism, and he'll exalt himself against any so-called God or idol. Buddhism, Hinduism, doesn't matter. Or any object of worship. What else does he do? What's his actions like? So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Is this literal? Is this figurative? How does this play out? We just really don't know. He does this, however. He proclaims himself to be God claims himself to be God. So in verses 4 and 5 we get some of his actions. We get down in verse 8 his outcome. In verse 8 it says this lawless one when he's revealed the Lord Jesus will deal with. Here's his outcome. When the Lord Jesus comes he will kill him with the breath of his mouth. Right? His judgment. His word of, of judgment. His sentence and he will bring to nothing this man. How and when? By the appearance of his coming. This is what happens to him. In verse 8, we see the outcome of what happens to this man. He, he will be dealt with. He will fall. In verse 9, we see his power. Where, where does he get his power? It says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and with false signs and with wonders. Jesus did signs and wonders, but these are false signs and and wonders, and he comes with this with deception. His power is of satanic origin. So, this is this man of, of lawlessness. He says, Hey, 
I need to address a rumor. You're not in the day of the Lord. You're not in the end time just yet. There's, Christ hasn't come. You haven't missed it. There's something that I need to tell you. This man will come. He's called the man of lawlessness. He's son of, of perdition, son of destruction. And he's going to exalt himself. He's going to promote his own kind of religion and his own kind of, of truth. But eventually he will be judged at the second coming. He gets his power of satanic origin. And I need to tell you uh, about this man. He will be revealed. And he has to be revealed before Christ's second coming. Now go back to verse 5, and really verse 6. Paul says to this church, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And we say, yes, Paul, they remember, but we don't, do we? We don't have all the story here. So obviously Paul is saying, I told you some of these things when I was with you, and don't you wish that you knew what those things were because then we might be able to put that puzzle together a little bit better but we we don't know them verse 6 and and you know what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in, in his time well maybe they did and maybe we don't really understand this this kind of mystery I wish that we knew more but we have to go okay well let's just do this let's notice what is said and what is not said and that's the way I want to preach it this morning taking it more from a verse-by-verse text. Previously, right, we could go to Revelation and Daniel and we could kind of fill in based on our view of the end times, but let's just let the text speak today. There is this revealing that he says is coming. But also there is the next point, our restraining. Look at the restraining that's placed on this man and that one day will be lifted. Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now. Again, a lot of interpretations about what that is. Right? Some would say church. Some would say Rome. I mean, like, there's a lot of things. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness, there is something that's already at work. That mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. What we do know is right now there is a restraining. The Antichrist is, is being restrained. He's being held back. He, he's not yet here. But he says what will happen is that restraining will be lifted. The man will appear. He'll do powerful works from Satan's right, uh, activity and power. And he will deceive many people. Verse 6 and 7 tells us there is that restraining that's placed and then lifted. I I thought about this. We put a restraining on our young people until they're 16. There is a restraining. You can't get behind the wheel. But then we go, it's lifted, go. And and they could go. And bad things could happen. They could wreck. Or Or we put a restraining on someone until they're 21. And and this is probably most appropriate for this one. And then when they're 21, we go, here, go and buy alcohol. and And the restraining is lifted. And some of them turn into the Antichrist, don't they? I mean, right, the restraining is lifted. It's all right, go and, go and have your way. Make your own choices. And some make terrible choices because the restraining is lifted and they become alcoholics and they, right, they, they destroy their life. He says right now there is this restraining. But one day that restraining will be lifted and the man of lawlessness will be revealed and he'll step on the scene with all sorts of, of actions, right? In some areas, right, there is a, an abortion uh, mandate, right? And, and you cannot have an abortion, but when that uh, is lifted, that restraining is lifted, then people can go and kill life, right? I mean, so the lawless one is being restrained, but one day he'll be permitted to, to go and to deceive and to go and to 
step on the scene and, and Paul says that has to happen before the second coming of Christ. Next, I want you to see that there is a refusal. And these verses in verses 10 through 12 are so, so important. He says that he steps on the scene, verse 9, with the power of Satan, false signs, false wonders, with all wicked deception. Look at what it says. For those who are perishing. For those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. They've already made up their mind to do that. God gives them over to that. They will believe the delusion. They will believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned, God is just, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I want you to see there in those verses the refusal. That's the next point is the refusal. A refusal to do what? A refusal to believe the truth. A refusal to believe the truth and to follow the man of lawlessness. To follow the wicked one. To buy into the lies of the, the enemies. He tells us about those that perish and why they do in verses 10 and 12. Look, why do people perish? God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to eternal life, right? Why do people perish? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They perish because, the end of verse 12, they did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. He says they have, these people that refuse, have disbelief and pleasure for unrighteousness. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe God. I don't believe there's a judgment day. I don't believe that, that God will forgive. I don't believe that, that, um, that that's the right thing to do. In fact, I have pleasure in my sin. I have pleasure in my unrighteousness. I just kind of like to, to do what I want to do and, uh, and continue in that. And so God gives them a couple of things. Number one, a delusion. And number two, destruction. He says, I'll give you delusion. I'll let you believe your, your lie. I'll let you believe that. And your mind will be deluded. And you won't understand. And know this, though, that there will be destruction. There will be, in verse 12, as he says, a, a condemnation. Right? This goes back to chapter 1. Right? He says, God's just. His holiness demands justice. And there will be relief and reward for those that believe the gospel. And there will be repayback and retribution for those that reject the gospel. So he gives them over to their delusion and to their destruction. Today, if you're here, if you're listening online, will you accept Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and not refuse and not reject what Christ wants to bring you? His mercy, His forgiveness, His, His good news. I like what Professor D.A. Carson said about that delusion and destruction. By persisting in telling the truth, the truth itself eventually condemns. You hear the truth of the gospel enough times and you harden your heart to it and eventually it is that which condemns you. By a judicial act of God, God finally says, all right, believe your lie. That's the delusion. Believe your lie. The sentence is already passed. You can't go back anymore. You want your lie? Believe it. The sentence has passed. And thus they believe that illusion because they will not believe the truth. There are many that are that way still today, aren't they? Deluded. Headed for destruction. Refusal to believe. 
So it leads me to this next point. I'm sorry I can't give you an R, but I have to give you a P, and it's this, a philosophy. Do you see in the text a philosophy, a mindset that's already at work in our world today? We do, don't we? A philosophy that's already present. Let's talk about that. Go back to verse 4. What were some of the actions of the man of lawlessness? These actions of someone that is anti-Christ. Look at it in verse 4. He opposes, she opposes, that person opposes and exalts themselves against every so-called God, against any religion or object of worship so that that person takes his seat in the temple of God. I decide what's right. I sit on the throne. I'm in the holy of holies of myself. Proclaiming myself to be God. Is that philosophy already at work in our day and age? My goodness, isn't it? It's, it's this idol called self. Whatever I say is right. That's right for me. I oppose God. I exalt myself. It's my truth. Um, whatever I feel is right is right. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is the spirit of the man of lawlessness. And that's the battle cry of our day. That philosophy is already here on the scene. I sit on the throne of the temple of worship. I will, I'll get to bash any religion except my religion and the, what, I, what I think God's like or what He's not like or, or what my Jesus is like or what He's not like. And, and I get to oppose the truth. I get to create my own truth. Look at 1 John 2.18 you have your Bible, you can flip over there. First John talks about this Antichrist spirit. We are in that last hour. We just don't know when the second coming will take place. If you believe in the rapture, we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. We don't believe, know when the seven years of tribulation is going to take place. We don't know when the second coming will take place. Or, or if you're there, right? We don't know these, these events. But John says... In 1 John 2, 18, children, he's pastoral, he's older, dear children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, but I tell you that many Antichrists have come. They had that mindset. They had that philosophy, right? That's the telescoping principle of, of, of prophecy, right? Maybe it was Caligula and Nero and in some ways a, a, a Pope or Hitler. Like they were, if they weren't the Antichrist, they sure had the philosophy of the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, and the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well today. John says there are many with that attitude. Ah, Mies, the idol of self. This is what that man will be like. He sets himself up to be worshipped. He proclaims himself above anything else. That's, that's the cry of today. Our young people are buying into that. What happens when you say, well, I don't really need Christ's work. I don't really need God. I really don't need Christ's work. That's an that's a anti-Christ statement. That's the spirit of Antichrist. You're, you're exalting yourself above that. You know what a person says when they say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. You know what they're really saying? I don't need Christ's work. I'm not that bad. I, I don't need His... Right? How many of us have thought that? We don't say it, but we think, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad. No, I'm not too bad. Whenever we say that, we're saying, well, I don't need too much of the blood. 
I, I, I didn't really need all the sacrifice. I'm not that bad. Of, no, I need every bit of it, right? And I need to remind myself of that, right? Uh, I need Christ. Uh, I need God. I need the truth. It's not about me. And I don't get to set the measurement on my life. Or I don't get to set the standards of, of truth, right? It's not what you feel. Whatever's right for you is right for you. That's hogwash. That's the spirit of the lawlessness. Irreligion of this philosophy. Is that philosophy at work? Yes. Is this lawless self-worship philosophy, is it present in our heart and mind? When does it ever sneak in? When we try to justify something that the Word of God doesn't. Next, I want you to see a return. There is a return. And Paul wants us to know that. Look at verse 8. He says this, this mystery of lawlessness in verse 7, it's already at work. That philosophy is already at work. Only he who now restrains it and restraining the, the, that one will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, his word of judgment, his physical judgment. He'll bring him to nothing. How? When? By the appearance of his coming. So perhaps right in the tribulation, I mean, we, we've heard some of that, right, this... Antichrist setting himself up, making a treaty with Israel and, and breaking the treaty or setting himself up in a, in a temple to be worshipped and, and doing false signs, but being, being slain at the coming of the Lord as he returns. But we see here there will be a return of Jesus. Right? Paul's saying, look, it's, it's not the coming. That's how he begins the, the, the chapter. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, there will be a return. Verse 8, he will appear. He will come. It will be physical. A physical invisible return. He comes to judge. He also comes to save. So the return of Jesus is what makes all things right. And he's telling that to the church. The return of Jesus will make all things right. So the most important things are this. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you going to be patient until that day? Oh, church at Thessalonica, be prepared, but just be patient. You're not there yet. Don't stop working. You still have a mission. You still need to take care of your family. Be patient. Be prepared. Jesus will make all the difference. So now we've seen the lawlessness of man, haven't we? But now let's turn and let's see the love of God. The lawlessness of man, but oh, thankful for a contrast in verse 13. But a contrast. In Christ means you are in truth, right? He's the way, the truth, the life. I want to be in Christ. I want to be in truth. You want to be in truth? Some don't, but we want to be in truth. We don't want to reject the truth. He says, but you, but you, for those of you in Christ, there is, I want you to see next, a motivation. So let's read verse 13 through the end of the chapter. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, because you're not like those who believe the delusion, right? You don't believe, you love pleasure and unrighteousness and you perish, no. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, church, because you are brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits, or for them the beginning of time before the foundation of the world, to be saved. Through sanctification, being set apart by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. You have to believe. To this He called you through our gospel, our good news that we proclaim, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Not somebody else's letter. Um, now, the prayer, 
May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, eternal good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish or strengthen them in every good work and word. So let's notice first the motivation. There is a motivation in verses 13 through 15. The motivation is this, to be calm and confident. To be stable and secure. Hey, the day of the Lord's not there. It's not quite, Christ hadn't come. You didn't miss it. Be calm. But be confident. Be stable. Be secure. He said, we always to give thanks to God for you. Because God's done something. And you need to rest in what God has done. You need to be stable and secure. Be calm and confident. Do you remember that little symbol that, that has kind of been familiar? Be calm and whatever people have made it nowadays. Originally it was be calm and carry on. Uh, the United Kingdom made that in 1939. It was a poster that was a World War II era poster preparing for the war. Be calm and carry on. But now they have like all kinds like be calm and eat ice cream. Or be calm and I don't know. You, you've seen those. He's writing to the church and he's saying, hey, be calm and continue onward. He's given them a motivation to be grounded to the truth. Look at what he says in verse 15. My brothers, stand firm. Be grounded to the truth. Hold to the traditions. Stand and hold. Stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught. The, the Word of God. The truth of God. And so in a lot of ways you see what he's continuing to do. Continue onward. Chapter 1, justice will come. Continue onward. They'll get what they deserve and you'll get what you deserve. And God is fair and Continue onward. You hadn't missed anything. You're not there yet. Continue onward. Cling to the truth. Don't be deluded. Uh, 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 you know, don't lose your mind. <laughs> he says, God's done something. Look at all of God's work. In verses 13, 14, and 15, you see God's work past, present, and even future. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, beloved brothers. God presently loves you because God chose you. That's past. As the first fruits to be saved. You will be saved. You are being saved. You have been saved. Through sanctification. He is sanctifying you. He has sanctified you. Set apart. Set apart. You're different by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And belief in the truth. To this He called you. That's a past tense. Through our gospel. So that you may obtain one day, future, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, based on all that, God's past action, His present action, His future action, and the way God will justify and sanctify and one day glorify, continue onward. Stand firm. Hold on. Look at what all God did. God loved you. God chose you. God saved you. God set you apart. God called you. God will glorify you. Did you notice that most of verses 13, 14, and 15 in this motivation, most was their identity and destiny. Who you are and what you will be. There's only one verse that deals with their activity. That was verse 15. Their only activity is stand firm, hold on. Instead, he says, do you want to know how to stand and hold and continue onward in the Christian life? Do you want to know how to persevere in the Christian life? Most of it is this. Remember your identity and your destiny. Remember what God's done for, for you. He says that will help you. Your identity and your destiny will help you do the activity to stand and to hold to the truth in those letters. You see, our calling is our protection. Our calling is our protection against the evil one, against error. 
that God is sanctifying our heart and our mind and setting us apart, that we, we are people of the truth. And so a tough chapter with, with different interpretations you can go and study. He ends with a beautiful prayer. And it's simple and you, you can't miss it. And we'll close with it. Last point is after a motivation, a prayer. A prayer. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I've ended a number of funerals with that benediction. That's the one I, I like best at a funeral. They need to be reminded of comfort and encouragement and, and good hope. As Christians, we live in hope, don't we? And that's what he was saying to them. As Christians, you live in hope. You just continue with that hope. What is our comfort? What's our eternal comfort? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, He's used those two phrases again and again here. He says he's, he's loved you. He's given you something that's eternal. It is an everlasting comfort. It is an eternal comfort and an eternal good hope. What is our eternal comfort but our salvation? That we've been saved. And so his prayer is this. It's twofold. It's a prayer for comfort. May he comfort you, verse 7. May he comfort your hearts. Sometimes our hearts need comforting. Theirs did. They were facing persecution and then there was some false teaching that had got them all shaken up about the end times. Hey, comfort your hearts. And then the second prayer is this, and strengthen you, and strengthen your heart, and strengthen you for two things, for every good work and word, in word and deed. Strengthen you in the things that you're going to say, and strengthen you in the things that you're going to do. So let's stop right now and pray those two prayers. Would you bow your head first, and would you pray that prayer for comfort? Maybe for someone Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.